latest episode of the shamrock i'm pete sampson joined by matt fortuna we've got our season preview podcast is somehow notre dame is going to play football in 48 hours uh before we get into season predictions what we expect to see on saturday uh you know what we've learned from a very unique distance about notre dame over the past month we've got ryan harris former notre dame offensive lineman current notre dame uh, analyst for the radio broadcast, uh, Super Bowl champ as well. Uh, he joined the show. We talked a bunch about Ian Book, where the offensive line needs to be better, how the offensive line needs to be better, and um, you know a little. I thought his commentary on offensive coordinator Chip Long you'll you'll find pretty enlightening as well. So we're going to get to that interview first, and then Matt and I will talk to you on the, on the other side of that previewing Notre Dame season. Delighted to welcome former Notre Dame offensive lineman, Super Bowl champion Ryan Harris back to the Shamrock, one of our, our rare return guests. Um, Ryan, you know, as the voice, one of the voices of Notre Dame radio, I think we're all sort of in media trying to figure out a different way to do our job this year. What, what do you anticipate this season being like for you at uh, sort of being at a distance from Notre Dame football, even though you're trying to call the games? Yeah, I mean, you know, strangely enough, Pete, I've been drawing on a lot more of my NFL experience and, and football experience this year than ever before. I mean, when things are changing around you, what can you control? You know, Coach Latina, my offensive line coach under Charlie Weiss there would always tell us that. And, you know, what I can control is my preparedness, my excitement, my joy for being able to call Notre Dame games. And, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that we're going to be on site at the stadium because there's so much that I get as a color analyst that I wouldn't be able to get from a TV feed. You know, what's the interaction after a play? Who's the offensive line coach talking to? Who's Coach Kelly talking to? Who's celebrating with Ian Book? You know, those are the questions that can really fill in a lot of the broadcast, and I'll still be able to do those things this year. Yeah, from my vantage point, I feel like I'm going to spend a lot more time looking at the sidelines than I ever have before, just to because it's something different than everybody else is getting. So it's yeah, I think the the storytelling aspect, whether it's radio or print, is just it's going to be a different approach this year. When when you look at this team, I mean, what what are you most curious about when you look at Notre Dame 2020? How good can Ian Book really be? And, and and I think it, he could win the Heisman. I really do. And I know a little bit biased. I am a Notre Dame graduate. You know, I'll be the first one to tell people that. But, I mean, two years ago, we saw something we've never seen. I think he had five straight games with over 70% completion. That just does not happen. I think he might have been even over 80%. And then there was a bit of a regression last year. So, you want to see how good can he be. Now, there's no question, and, and he's got – Uh, A coach now who formerly played so knows the system, knows how to get things done, especially as a Notre Dame uh, quarterback in Tommy Reese. How good can Ian Book be? And then, of course, who's going to step up for Chase Claypool? You know, it's a a receiver I thought was going to go in the first round. And I can tell you from talking to my friends at the Steelers, they love Chase Claypool. Ian Book is it's an interesting story because, I mean, you rarely get the third-year starting quarterback. You played with one here. you know, but Brady Quinn's career was, was certainly different than Ian Book's. And I've had conversations with other football people about what Ian Book's season was or wasn't last year. And one of the sort of themes that I, I pull out of that is maybe Notre Dame asked him to be something that he wasn't. Um, and instead of playing to his strengths, they, they maybe tried to focus a little bit more on, on weaknesses, you know, whether it be the deep ball or just being a big play quarterback opposed to just running the offense the best that he can. How did, how do you sort of break down Ian Book's season last year? Because you, know, you use the word regression. I, it's, hard to, it's hard to avoid that when you, when you think, even though he had 34 touchdowns and six interceptions, you just, I don't, for my point, I, I feel like there was more out there, and I'm not sure how you, you pull that out. Well, I mean, I, the number one thing I'll say is that I, I do think there's a reason why Chip Long, you know, was, was asked not to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had I've seen Chip Long in practice, and it's it's disturbing to say the least. And when you look at who he's really developed, that list is short and, and, and non-existent. I mean, again, a little biased. I'm a Broncos, you know, 
I'm in broadcasting here in Denver and, you know, Paxton Lynch was Chip Long's, you know, blue chip guy. And we saw what happened there. But mm -hmm. when you look at especially the Michigan game and Georgia game last year, those are two games where if you win one of those, you could be in the national championship talk. You know, you're in the college football playoffs. And where Ian Book was at the year before gave every indication that he could perform in those games. And that just did not happen. And when you are going to be the quarterback, and as you mentioned, only, you know, one of two quarterbacks to rush for over 500 yards and throw for over 2,500, Jalen Hurts being the other, when you're going to be that guy, you have to win those games. You can't throw for, you know, 80% completion percentage one game and then you throw a goose egg at Michigan last year. And I, I know Ian Book is dedicated to his craft. He loves the game. I can't wait to see what he does. I really do think, Pete, he's going to be in, in a running for the Heisman. With this offense, I mean, to be in the running for the Heisman, it's like Joe Burrow last year was um, incredible. He also had Jamar Chase and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, you know, one first-round pick at running back and a guy who's probably going to go top 10 a year from now. I mean, you look at Notre Dame's offense, you feel like they have that level of talent. Uh, yes, and especially with Tommy Tremble. I think he's going to be the next big tight end out of out of tight end U, as, my, as Anthony Fasano and John Carlson tell me all the time. I try to tell them it's O-line U, but they're not having any of it. <laughs> the least left um, tackle U. Yeah, and then Liam Eichen, Yeah, and Liam Eichenberg's going to be returning. So, um, and, and Banks. I just think they have, they have fantastic familiarity. And that's one thing people overlook, right? So many times people say, oh, you know, you need talent. You need talent. Well, name me three top receivers Tom Brady won a world championship with. I mean, you don't have to have the best talent at running back, at wide receiver, at tight end. You want those things, absolutely. But you can win with consistency and camaraderie. And I do not believe any team in college football has that more than Notre Dame and what they've been through last year. Certainly on the offensive line, that's you. it would be hard to return more than five starters and I think three <laughs> three-year starters, frankly. You know, that, that line, to, to me – you're, you're the expert on offensive line play. You played it at the highest level. I just watch it. I, f I felt like that line needs to was good, but needs to be a lot better for Notre Dame to be great, if that makes sense. So, like, what's the, what's the next step for that group from an offensive lineman's perspective? Where can they take it up to, like, Joe Moore levels? Yeah, the, you know, one of the things about Joe Moore and, and the, the O-lines he coached and then, you know, the guys that I played under – we were attacking early, and I was just watching the Duke film of the game last year, for and they just they didn't get the run game going until late, you know. And I'll, I'll also be honest, using a clapping snap count is a huge disadvantage for an offensive lineman, and yet other teams are across the country win big games doing it. So mm -hmm. you got to find a way. And for this offensive line, especially this year, there can be no excuses. One of the things Duke did last year is they played that kind of 3-4 floater look where there's a guy floating in and out, and he knows where he's going, but the offensive line doesn't. Those are the kinds of things that you had that experience last year. Hey, he's down. This is the linebacker. Let's, let's kick these guys' tail, you know, and that way you can really start to make a difference early. But they, they have the most capability to take over a game early and often, and I hope they do. I think, you know, the line last year, statistically, if you, you know, get into some of the advanced metrics, I think it's pass pro, they were very, very good. You know, one of the better groups in the country. But the, I think the area of improvement where they need to take it up and not just like that short yardage, it's third and one, third and two, and you know you can pick it up on the ground. Um, where, how does the line get there? How, how do you take that jump to be a good short yardage run offensive line? Well, one, you got to just dent the defense and you got to create a play. You know, one of my favorite plays in football is the power with no puller. Tight end, tackle, tackle, guard, and tackle center, guard center, and, and guard, tackle, backside are all double teaming. And the defense cannot be right. So you got to have the right plays, right? Mm -hmm. But also, Pete, one of the things we realized Super Bowl, the year we won Super Bowl 50 is that when Peyton Manning was in the shotgun, the running back got to the ball one full second later than if we did that same play and he was under center. So I understand that other teams do these things and, you know, you're playing in the Big Ten, you're playing in the SEC, and you can run from the gun, but you've got to, on short yardage, get under center, 
get that running back going downhill before he reaches the football, and it makes a huge difference. Am I reading too much into it? Like if, if Notre Dame gets away from the clap and puts Ian Book under center sometimes, like that actually would be almost an automatic improvement. Like you couldn't help but improve if you did that correctly. If Notre Dame had a silent snap count that was functional last year, they beat Georgia in Georgia. I mean, it's, I mean, I think they had three procedure penalties in the first half on yeah. the road. I mean, that's unacceptable from players to coaches, you know, and, and personnel. It's, you have to have a plan going into a, you know, an unlit not literally, but in terms of football, an absolute war zone Saturday night in a, in, at, right outside of Atlanta there at Georgia. I mean, come on, man. That's a tough place to be clapping when you have, you know, 70,000 people clapping. So they win that game without those procedure penalties. And it's been an, it was an issue last year. So hopefully Tommy Reese has got them on some sort of snap count, some sort of silent count like, you know, every NFL team uses. And that can be a huge improvement. Defensively, I mean, when you look at this group, what – what do you see? I mean, I, I feel like, you know, Wusu Kormo and Hamilton obviously are elite. They're old up front. Um, you know, the secondary, <laughs> I'm sort of curious, but like, I, I don't know if you see this defense is similar to last year or the year before or Clark Lee is going to have to reinvent some things. One of the things I know about Clark Lee is he's constantly learning, evolving and teaching. And so as we saw last year in the USC game, Clark Lee's happy to change his entire defense to help win a game. Right. And that kind of innovation and willingness is going to allow for the best players to play their best um, this season. So whether it's Lamb, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Lufau as well. And, you know, Dalen Hayes, what can, he, what, can, what can the old man bring? What can the old <laughs> coach bring? You know, and seeing Sean Crawford, hopefully that happens this year and he can finish the season and really just put an, a beautiful ending to uh, his Notre Dame story. I want to sort of get you out of here just on some big picture talk with on Brian Kelly. I mean, you played, you played for Tyron Willingham, Charlie Weiss here. You know, you've been with Gary Kubiak, Mike Tomlin, a bunch of other NFL coaches. What, what makes BK unique? Um, how do you, how does he sort of strike you compared to some of the other coaches you've, you've played with? One of the biggest important factors uh, for a coach to be successful is for them to be themselves. And I really believe that Coach Kelly has, has made that turn the last four years. He understands who he, who he is, what he wants, how he wants to coach young men. I mean, I remember last year, uh, you know, a great conversation I saw him have at the, end of a, um, at the end of a red zone period when a tight end dropped the football. Everybody changed, but here's Coach Kelly going to talk to the tight end and say, hey, you're better than that. When you grab – and he's showing them. When you grab that ball, keep it away from you. They can't get to you. And that kind of one-on-one -on -one coaching, that level of care, really matters to players and matters to players more in, in this day and age than it ever has. So I love that Coach Kelly has produced. There's been no excuses, only production. And he's won 10 games the last three years. That's fantastic. Do you, th you feel like he's sort of – like he's changed a little bit after the 2016 debacle – but he's still sort of – he's still himself. Like, he hasn't sort of tried to change in a, I'm going to fake it because this is what the players want. Like, I, I have to be true to myself. You know, one of the things, you know, I've talked with him about is, you know, he wanted to get depth because he, he told me, he said, you know, Ryan, we realized that Alabama, they just had more depth than we did. Mm -hmm. So we had to get there from a recruiting standpoint. And so I love where he's been at, at from a recruiting Point and, and you and I have talked how strategic he's been. I mean, that just shows a high level of care. I really believe all of us go through those moments in our careers, though, when our good's not good enough. And at that point, we can blame other people, blame the situation, or improve ourselves. And we've clearly seen that Coach Kelly made in personal improvements, program improvements, and that's led to improvements in production. All right, fantastic. Well, Ryan, I appreciate the time. Hopefully I will see you from at least six feet away on Saturday for the Duke game. <laughs> and, uh, safe travels out to South Bend. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Pete. See you soon. Now is the time to celebrate. Football is finally back, and DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, has millions of reasons why you should be excited. To kick off the football season, DraftKings is giving new users a free shot at a $1 million top prize with a total of $3 million up for grabs for this Thursday's football contest. 
Getting in on Thursday night's single game showdown is easy. All you have to do is download DraftKings using promo code MAZE. Draft six players from the season opener. Stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. So head to the app now to start making it rain. Plus, new users who sign up today on DraftKings using code MAZE will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game like having a shot at a million dollar payday. Download the DraftKings app now and use code MAYS, that's M-A-Y-S. For a limited time, new users can get a free shot at the $1 million top prize and $3 billion in total prizes. Don't miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter code MAYS to get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. That's code MAYS, only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Good stuff from Ryan Harris, former Notre Dame offensive lineman, current analyst for the radio broadcast team. Before we talk about that, Pete, I wanted to plug a new podcast on the Athletics Podcast Network, Atlantic and Coastal, hosted by our colleague Andy Bitter, who covers Virginia Tech. He had me on for this debut episode to preview the ACC season, which starts tonight with UAB going to Miami on the ACC Network. Manny Navarro, our Hurricanes writer, also joined the show to preview Miami's season. So please give that a review. Give that a listen. Please check it out. We'll do tons of Notre Dame talk on there as well because they're a member of the ACC this year, Pete. I I will only be joining that show this year. That's all I agree to. It's, yeah, it's. I think for Notre Dame fans, it will be a good deeper dive into the league because I think, I think for a lot of people who follow Notre Dame, they sort of only casually follow the ACC beyond Clemson. I don't think they could tell you a ton about it. So, um, be a lot of intel on there, considering there's a there's a ten game league slate involved and a lot of rooting for other teams, beating other teams, so Notre Dame can make it to Charlotte. So that that will be pretty interesting. Um, the Harris interview, I. I was, as I mentioned, sort of previewing it, I was pretty struck by how direct he was about Chip Long, what didn't work there from a personality standpoint. I think we all know that. But I I think more, even more interesting was what didn't work from, I guess, an X's and O's or a functionality standpoint. That that really struck me about where Notre Dame can sort of almost get better without having to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, I don't think Ryan or... or too many people in South Bell be getting Christmas cards from, from Chip Long, but uh, that was pretty striking to hear say it in those. I think he used the word offensive uh, yeah. to, to hear in those terms, which I'm not surprising because we've heard that privately. Surprising to hear uh, someone with the stature of Ryan uh, come out and say that directly. Uh, but it does make you wonder like, was I'm not saying he was or wasn't that big of a problem because he's not here anymore, but is the equation for Ian Book and this offense taking off as simple as, hey, He's gone, new offense coordinator, everyone gets along better. They'll go out and play football now and have fun. I mean, it's probably a little, a lot more complex than that, mm-hmm. but uh, that is probably the biggest question mark or, or, or curiosity point, if you will, about Notre Dame football heading into 2020, especially since uh, they didn't get a spring practice. Or they won spring practice. They, you know, for all intents and purposes, didn't practice this spring. So uh, it's not the usual offseason where everyone has time to get acclimated to each other. Uh, the nitty gritty with the offensive line, you know, it's always he, he can speak to that a lot better than we can. Oh, yeah. Um, really good. Um, you know, we, we forget how close that Georgia game was and how many self inflicted wounds Notre Dame had. Uh, on that spotlight to the point where Brian Kelly basically came out and apologized for them and, and fell on the sword after the game. Um, and to hear Ryan say, hey, they win that game, and if they win that game, they're they're in the playoff mix uh, with very simple, quick fixes, especially with the personnel that they all have coming back up there. Uh, as frustrating as it is, I'm sure, to hear people relitigate that tough loss, I think that's an encouraging sign when you look at what's coming back on this roster and the opportunities that are ahead of them on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, we, we certainly spent a lot more time rehashing what happened at Michigan than what happened at Georgia to the point that I had sort of forgotten about how poorly prepared they were from a, a snap count get-off standpoint offensively. Uh, you know, it was it was the Navy no-tackling preseason <laughs> equivalent. Um they were they were that poorly prepared. So you think about okay, if you fix that, that's a really a, a coaching issue that they can be better. So I, you know, talking to Harris, we usually I don't know if we will this year, but we usually sort of <laughs> 
chat up in the press box before games. Uh, and he's, he even, I remember talking to him distinctly at Stanford last year about the offense and just like, what are they doing? How slow it is, the developing the run plays, um, you know, the silent snap counts and how, you know, Chip, I think, had told him like, you know, a silent snap count, it, you know, that's called first and 15 here. Um, you got to figure out how to coach that better, that you're not sort of baking in a false start um, to every time you do a silent snap count. If you can't do it with five returning starters and a third year starting quarterback kind of falls into the what are we even doing here? Uh, realm for Notre Dame so I, I thought that was really significant um, you know Ian Book as a Heisman candidate I don't I don't see that I don't under, I, I don't understand that as a realistic possibility and then again outside of Trevor Lawrence who's there you know Justin Fields isn't playing Panay Sewell isn't playing um, there there just might not be a whole lot of other realistic candidates and if you're the quarterback at Notre Dame on a team that should be pretty good why not? I mean, I, I guess why not put him up there? I, I don't know what the odds are for him right now, um, you know, in the Bovada Vegas world, but I don't know. It's, he got one vote for ACC Player of the Year. I'm sure he could get a... Do, do we know who did that? I don't know. I haven't figured that out. I've, I've crossed out Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley, um, but okay. I'm going to have to keep going around the Notre Dame beat media to find out who put that vote in. You know, certainly could be a top 10 Heisman candidate, right? I mean, that's realistic. I would think so. I would hope so. I mean, if Notre Dame wants to have the kind of season um, that it wants to have, they're going to need probably that kind of at least top 10 quarterback performance out of Ian Book. They're going to have to promote him a lot better than they are right now if they want him to go to New York and, and yeah. become the center of attention for college football. But that's another conversation for another day. It's funny you bring up the Bovada odds because they emailed out new ones yesterday. And as always, you know, well, these guys do know more than we do, but uh, there's some stuff there that just makes you really scratch your head. And I'll read to you now all the guys who are ahead of Ian Book and their odds Trevor Lawrence plus 225 makes sense Spencer Rattler's next plus 900 hasn't played but I mean hey you're an Oklahoma quarterback yep. I mean you, you've got as good a chance as anybody De'Ara King Miami quarterback ACC plus 1200 that's he seems to be like one of those dark horse hey he was really good at the group of five level and now he's at a power five blue blood let's see what he can do I feel like we might have some Kenny Hill uh energy after, after with a Thursday night after, yeah, after he lights up UAB yeah <laughs> Miles um, Brennan LSU quarterback plus 1400 I get it but like I don't know I mean none of the guys Joe Burrow was throwing to nor the main play caller Joe Brady is in his year I think there's going to be a lot of fixing to do on LSU they should still be really good but I don't know if I'd put all my eggs in the Miles Brennan Heisman basket just yet Sam Ellinger, Texas, plus 1,200. He reminds me a little bit of Ian Buck, just a guy yeah. who's played a lot of football at a, a name program. Uh, there's probably some fatigue with hearing his name, and you're probably going to hear people refer to him as an eighth-year senior, as you will with Ian Buck. But it makes sense. If Texas wins a Big 12, he should be right there. Mac Jones, plus 1,600, Alabama, I guess. I mean, I don't have anything bad to say about him, but he's not Tua Tagovailoa, and Tua didn't even win it. So uh, that one's... A little tough for me. Sam Howell, North Carolina, plus 1,800. Very uh, trendy pick as well after a very impressive true freshman season. North Carolina's another sleepy, trendy, uh, off-the-radar pick uh, to win the ACC or, or make some noise this year. I get it. I don't know if I go there just yet. Um, here's the one. Still on th- This email came out yesterday, by the way. We're recording this on Thursday, September 10th. <laughs> Jamie Newman, plus 1,600. What does Vegas know that we don't? You're he throwing, opted out last week. You're throwing your money away on that bet. <laughs> Maybe he transferred somewhere else yeah. and it's just going to pop up. Uh, and after that, we get to Ian Book, Chuba Hubbard, and one oh uh, Bo Nix from Auburn at plus 2,000. Uh, I have a couple problems with that one. One, I think Chuba Hubbard should be like top three. I think yeah, he's that, the best running back in the country. That would make uh, no sense. And I think Ian Book should be higher as well. But yeah, I, none of it makes sense. And I feel like we had yeah. this discussion. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just saying that Ian Book, Ellinger, Miles Brennan, Jamie Newman, if he was playing. I mean, even <laughs> even Mac Jones. I would put all those guys sort of in the same group, right? I mean, I put, Jones- put Book over all of them except for maybe Ellinger. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. I, I could see giving Ellinger right now. A I mean, Mac Jones could have a better year, but he hasn't done it yet. Yeah, I just threw two pick sixes at Auburn last year. We've seen enough of Alabama to know that uh, Waddle and that those are those are the guys who make that go, not 
Sure. AJ McCarron part two. So yeah, well, I mean book that's I, I guess when you read it off, I mean top ten, forget it, top five. I mean maybe he should probably be getting top five votes this year. So we, we did we think. our Heisman draft. I don't even remember when we did. Oh, it was in May. So that was a lifetime ago. Yeah. Um, we talked on this podcast about how Ian Book didn't go until the third to last pick. There were five, five rounds, rounds right? seven people, thirty-five total picks. Our colleague Matt Colson tweeted out a graphic recently to show where we were then and where we are now. Uh, 15 out of the 35 people taken will not be playing football this fall (laughs) for one reason or another. Uh, Big 10, Mm. opt-outs, Pac-12. Four of my five will not be playing, and I had the number one pick, which I used on Justin Fields. Chuba Hubbard is the only guy I have left playing. But you look at that list, I mean, 20 of the top 35 consensus candidates, if you will, are still there. Ian Book, based on that math, would be 19 out of 20 somehow. Shane Bouchelle was the last guy in that draft when I look at it, which is also very weird. Um, I think he should be higher. Um, do I? Will I go as far as Ryan Harris did? It, it, you know, he couched it with saying I'm biased and I like him and I'm Notre Dame and blah blah blah. I get it. I, I get the reason for excitement. I wouldn't go be putting my money in Vegas on him just yet. But uh, look, I mean. You talked about it in a number of interviews. You talked about it in this interview with, with Ryan Harris. A lot of the problems with Notre Dame's offense last year seemed to be the coaching staff asking the quarterback to be someone he isn't. Right. And you know, we know he's been working hard. I mean, Ben Skoranek went out there and flew it and it flew out there to train with him, which I think it says a lot about both uh, guys being in their fifth years of college ball, not knowing each other, and being dead set on making something work when you don't have a normal spring or, or off season. I mean, I, I think there's reason to believe he's going to have a really, really, really good year. Now at the end of the day, he's got to beat Trevor Lawrence or at least go blow for blow with Trevor Lawrence on November 7th. Otherwise this conversation, at least as it relates to Heisman, won't matter. Yeah. He's, he's definitely got to beat him once. And you know, if, if we're talking about a monumental upset of him winning it, he's got to beat him twice. Um, you know, I, that a split goes to the you know the incumbent in some ways, even though Trevor Lawrence didn't win the Heisman last year. He's he's the guy everybody knows. He's the face of college football, you know. In Clemson, what's funny? But by, by the way, so not to cut you up, Travis Etienne was on that list, and he's been the two-time reigning ACC Player of the Year. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's a. I think th- that is interesting. I think Lawrence just has the whole thing working right now, right? I mean, he's he had a great off season. I mean, he's going to run for yeah, he's governor had a great off season. He's incredibly popular. Um, you know, especially with the media, with with how I think sort of thoughtful he's been and how available he's Which been. Which is night and day from when he first got there. Not that he wasn't any mm-hmm. of those things, but it was yes, no. I mean, it was like yeah. I remember talking to him to in, to in Dallas at you know the podium in the the Marriott where we all were, and it was not it was not overly enlightening. Uh, no, you know, it was, you know, I'm not seeing like this is the future commissioner of college football while a player. <laughs> So, I, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting dynamic there. Um, I do, you know, as as you go through the list, Book has a better shot to be top five or maybe in New York than than I would have thought. Um, I do, you know, I, I have major concerns about Notre Dame's skill position talent being ready to go to accentuate whatever Book is going to be. Is he is he going to take last year and build on it? Is he going to go more back to his junior year? And accentuate that. I don't really know. Um, you know, I, I think Brian Kelly was asked. Um, no, Ian Book was asked about you know how where he's better from last year, and he said leadership, which I I found kind of odd because um, it's kind of one of those intangibles that what does that really mean? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not going to get a college kid to say like I'm much better at throwing the backside fade. Like that's that's not how that comes out. So I don't. I do believe that talking to people around Notre Dame, whether that's players or parents or coaches or just sort of people around that the culture of the offense is going to be a lot better than it was last year. Um, that there's going to be more of a, everyone pulling in the same direction, um, concept that they, I just don't think that they had, um, for much of last season. So that maybe that's a big thing. I had, I had a, a very lengthy story on the athletic today about how the Virginia tech game ended and what that meant to various people, um, and why it ended the way that it did, you know, is I think 
as I wrote in the story, like the way that ended gives Notre Dame a blueprint moving forward, not just last season, but this season. Do they have the construction capacity to recreate it this year? I do not know. Um, you know, but at least they know how to play and what it looks like to, to sort of grind through and then use a performance like that as as a platform and a launching pad for the rest of the season. It's you know, I mean, do you know how many Power Five teams are on a longer winning streak than Notre Dame right now? LSU, obviously. Um, that's it. Oklahoma, just LSU. No? No, it's just LSU. Oh, that's right. They lost the split. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. It's, I mean, and it's at six, which is not a huge number, but it's among Power Five teams, only LSU is better. So, hmm. that's, I think that's significant. Um, you know, and maybe we can transition a little bit to what you expect to see on Saturday. You have the, a similar view to me uh, on your couch. I believe, right? Watching it on TV. Uh, I'll, I'm going to be, be watching it. With, I'll be watching that and and as many games as possible, which will be easier to do on a previous schedule. Uh, with someone else for an assignment I'm working on, I don't want to share too much yet, but I'm looking forward to writing it. I think all college football fans, uh, Notre Dame and beyond, will, will be enlightened by it because it's a different year, obviously. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we'll have similar views, it sounds like. Um, I know you posted – uh, if you haven't yet, download our updated version of our app and see our new short form where you get all kinds of cool nuggets like Pete talking about how NBC is going from 80 people to 25 people on game day, including uh, having Mike Trico and Tony Dungy fly in the day of the game um, to do it, which it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, for their sake, oh, yeah. it's just a lot to do in one day, and they're not going to have the kind of pregame and really in-game access that they're used to having uh, around Notre Dame football for good reason, but uh, that'll be very, very interesting. But yeah, I wonder, I mean, Brian talked a little bit about how he's going to broadcast the game differently or what he'll be able to get by being in person as opposed to being, you know, uh, at home on TV. I'm sure it'll be different for you as far as you're not going to be able to mingle the way you normally are um, at games. Uh, Do we know anything about Skycan? Is that, if that's not coming back, then you could have 12 people on the NBC staff and that's fine to me. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I didn't ask uh, Rob Hyland, the producer, <laughs> uh, explicitly about that, but he said no new camera angles this year. Okay. So I think it it sounds like it's definitely going to be a, a less is the right move kind of approach. Um, I don't Maybe we'll gonna... get some from uh, – we can watch NFL kickoff tonight on NBC yeah. and see if there are any new wrinkles there. But yeah, I so know. I mean, the uh, – I don't know. I mean, without fans, maybe they'll they'll have more of the, the, the traditional sky cam, not that sideline sky cam that – you know, gave you vertigo at times. So it's, you know, the announcers coming in four hours before kickoff, they had no practice access. Um, you know, usually they have a production meeting at a mm-hmm. uh, hotel downtown South Bend on Saturday mornings. That's going to be virtual on um, Friday nights now. And yeah, it's just going to be, it's going to be weird. Like Brian Kelly has his dedicated headset for sideline interviews that he has to put on and then hang back up. Well, well, well SID be on there to filter the questions for Mike Tarico. I don't That's think Mike. so. I, I don't. I don't think. Wow, no, someone's going to ask him questions. I don't think Jack Collinsworth <laughs> is going to have to email his questions in. You wow. know, it's going to be so that, and it's just going to be a weird thing. I I don't know what it's going to look like on Saturday. I don't know what it's going to feel like on Saturday. But I I am curious to see. You know, does Notre Dame offensive line do they show some flash of being a dominant group potentially? Does you know, Bennett's Garanik look as good as everyone seems to indicate. Um, you know, I was, I was laughing as Brian Kelly was describing him to uh, Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune as, you know, blue collar and a hard worker. And he's, you know, <laughs> traits, he, traits. Yeah, traits. He might have, he should have just said he's like a coach on the field, very gritty, yeah. tough, uh, film junkie, gym rat. Um, as someone close to Skoranek texted me, it's like, can you just say he's a white receiver? Um, <laughs> An RKG, right? Yeah, an RKG. I think the, he's got a chance to, to lead Notre Dame in receptions this year. Um, defensively, I think they got hit real hard with COVID-19 and contact tracing in the preseason, and that has scrambled the depth chart. So what we see, I don't know if that is necessarily Notre Dame's ideal on paper. Um, I think that's going to evolve through the course of the season, but how do they make that work on Saturday against Duke? Sean Crawford at safety, that was you know a move of necessity not necessarily uh, you know, an inspired position switch because they felt like they had overwhelming depth at corner. Uh, and then, you know, 
I would like to see Notre Dame get to a point finally where you have Chris Tyree and Jordan Johnson and Michael Mayer, elite offensive skilled talent. Uh, it's time for Notre Dame to stop. Well, you know, we gotta we gotta break them in slowly, and you know, because like, that that crap doesn't happen at Ohio State and Clemson. Those guys play, um, so I want to see those guys play. Give them real reps, even when the game is on the line. If they if they don't know what they're doing, I understand you know sort of throwaway plays, but the the utility and the investment there that you need to make in those guys it needs to start on Saturday, not um, not against Florida State, not against Louisville. Start needs to start on Saturday. So those those are three things that I, I really want to say. You said it better and lower than I could have. Um, and I think Dabo <laughs> Sweeney said something to the effect this week of with these eligibility rules, you'll see more true freshmen playing around the country probably than ever before. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say this season is a mulligan because you can certainly lose games this year. But, I mean, you're not losing much by burning a red shirt, so to speak, um, and letting these guys – go out there and learn what they are good or not good at and what they need to work on and, and so forth. I think, like you said, uh, annual college football playoff contenders do not have problems getting true freshmen onto the field. The best man wins. And uh, part of it's due to recruiting, part of it's due to having an older roster every year. But Notre Dame has, generally speaking, not had too many of those guys, aside from Kyle Hamilton on defense, mm-hmm. uh, really go out there and, and make a statement from day one, year one. And can Chris Tyree be that guy? Um, maybe. I mean, I think it's encouraging that we've heard Kyron Williams make the jump he has too, so I don't want to use that as a referendum on Chris Tyree. But, uh, yeah, I mean, not to put down Duke because they've underestimated them before and it's come back to bite them, but this is – USF too, for that matter, a week later. Uh, this is the opportunity to see what you got. Um in some ways, I think with a season like this, known commodities like Notre Dame with, with senior heavy teams are, are are sure bets, so to speak, because they didn't need all that time together in the offseason. And on the other hand, I look at it and say, you know what? Everything's up for grabs this year. Go out there, play ball on Saturday. Best man wins. So, yeah, I'm curious to see who gets on the field and what they're able to do and how much and so forth. Um, and the other part, I just think about this now as we talk to Ryan Harris and, and we talk about the offensive line. Um, I'm not nearly well-versed enough in offensive line play to, to say this with any sort of authority, but I ask this open-endedly. Uh, when he talks about snap counts and clapping in big stadiums, do you think they, with basically being in empty stadiums all year, that really makes a difference this year as far as the communication, eliminating penalties, making sure the offense is running efficiently, uh, week to week, uh, the way it didn't, you know, in a big game like that one against Georgia last year. That's a, you know, we get Brian Kelly on Thursdays at noon now, and that's a question that I want to ask him because the stadium is going to be so quiet that he can go to the sideline and yell at Ian Book mm-hmm. to remind him of stuff before the the play goes. Um, you would think that at the line of scrimmage, that would make a silent snap count um, pretty easy to pull off, um, especially you know, on the road too. So it's, I, I hope that that's going to fix some of these things because if it does, then Notre Dame's offense has a chance to be really, really good. Um, they need to sort of get some of these drag elements out of the, of the system. And if they do, you know, even though I think that the skill position talent is, is down this year from last year without Chase Claypool and Cole Komet, I think that they'll have enough to, to sort of score at the same, a similar clip. Um, you know, five touchdowns a game, maybe you know more than that. I think they were at, they had thirty eight points per game last year, which was a Kelly era high. Um, but I mean, look, ultimately, as, as we sort of pivot a little bit into like, what do you want to see from Notre Dame as a season? You know, I want to see them put twenty four points on Clemson. I want to I want to see the offense deliver in a much bigger spot than it has. Um, you know, it was a no show at Michigan. It really struggled at Georgia. Um, you know, I, I thought that the game plan was good at Georgia, but the you know the execution wasn't at Clemson or at, against Michigan. It was all bad. You know, against Clemson uh, two years ago, it was that was I wouldn't say it was necessarily no show. It was just beat up by a much better, much more talented team. So, uh, you know, big picture with the season, you know, whatever we see on Saturday, it's I think we're all going to be sort of like, all right, 
how about November 7th? And then they'll beat South Florida and we'll be like, okay, how about November 7th? And then they'll beat Wake Forest and we'll be like, okay, how about November 7th? I think everything is just, it's such a, you know, I think Stu Mandel wrote this and I've wrote this and I think you have too. It's like at Notre Dame, everything's a referendum on everything all the time. But mm-hmm. um, November 7th against Clemson will be a referendum on everything on that night. And, you know, what the the games before that are are all sort of a just a prelude to how Notre Dame delivers or doesn't against Clemson. Kirby Smart said that in his post-game interview on the field with CBS when Georgia beat Notre Dame last year. He kind of went out of his way to say, you know what, hats off to Notre Dame. They take so much crap from so many people, and they play their tails off tonight, and that was a game that could have gone either way, which I thought was interesting that like that narrative of doom and gloom around Notre Dame football had made its way to that part of the country to the point where the winning coach had to be like, no, 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 that was a really good team we beat. <laughs> maybe um, uh, maybe he listened to me on Feinbaum when I said Georgia <laughs> was going to win by 14. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com Shamrock and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com Shamrock today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com Shamrock. GetRoman.com slash Shamrock. With that in mind, I think you got to beat Clemson. I, I know that's a lot easier said than done, but I, sure. I, I mean, they lost them by two um, five years ago. They lost them by 27 two years ago. Um, you got to win. I know it's not your typical home game, but it's still a home game. It's a game, maybe the game of the year on the college football regular season. I know Alabama plays Georgia and, Alabama, and, and LSU, and those will be – um, primetime showcases in their own right. But when you look around the country, when you look at you know the teams that are playing and the teams that aren't, um, I don't know if it gets much bigger than Notre Dame and Clemson, um, whether there's a rematch or not. And so I think uh, they want to make a statement. I mean, I say they got to win and then watch. They'll go 9-1, and one, get a rematch, and then they'll really have to win. Or they'll win and then lose in the ACC title, which – this season's so weird and so fun in so many different ways already, and it hasn't even started yet, which is why I can't wait for it to start. Uh, but, hey, let's just get to Saturday. Let's get to season predictions. Why don't we? Uh, what do you think of Duke? What do you think of Notre Dame's prognosis in the ACC? I have been uh, a big advocate, and uh, the originator of the opener tells you almost everything you need to know theory. I'm not sure if it applies this year due to you know training camp stoppages and COVID protocols and all that, but Every year but 2014, Notre Dame showed itself in its opener, and it was predictive of how the rest of the season went. Um, highly, highly predictive in in a good or bad way. You know, in a, in a good way like the Texas game in 2015, in a bad way like the Texas game the very next year. Um, so, I I not sure if this will be a year where that applies, just based on the preseason. But I I still like Notre Dame sort of in the 34-13 range on Saturday, maybe a slight cover um, of a, a line that's at, I think, just short of 20 points right now. It's, but, it's 20, 20 and a half. The over-under is 54. All right. So that's kind of a a weak prediction that I'm predicting <laughs> the line. But, I mean, I, I think that Duke will look better than they did last year. Um, and I think Notre Dame might be similar. So – Maybe the game's a little bit closer than it was last year when they absolutely just destroyed them. But um, I, you know, thirty, I'll go thirty-four, thirteen. Just sort of feels like a, about right. You know, I, I don't think Clark Lee's defense is going to suddenly give up twenty-five points to to Duke. I'll go forty-one, fourteen, cover and the over. Um, Chase Bryce is a big wild card in this. Um, Clemson folks really, really liked him. He just wasn't Trevor Lawrence. And yeah. you pair him with an opportunity with one of, if not the best quarterback coaches 
of this generation and David Cutcliffe. Um, and you have to get at least a little bit excited if you're Duke. I'm not saying they're going to go out there and win, but, I mean, I think, you know, it will be a much better game than last year's game in Durham was, for sure. Uh, we forget, by the way, and I say this um, as a New Yorker through and through, we witnessed the birth of a star last time Duke came into Notre Dame, Daniel Jones, first-round draft pick. <laughs> Uh, who leading predicted, the Blue Devils. Who I think reminded team. everyone, right? And New York media reminded everyone of what happened the last time Duke went to Notre Dame when he was asked for a prediction. I don't care what happened in that game. I care about him replacing my boy Eli. Um, I'll go 41-14. Um, I just think Notre Dame's offense is going to show, um, whether that's in the form of looking like LSU last year or looking like the ground-and-pound attack of last year. I'm not sure. I just think the opportunities definitely will be there. Uh, against this Duke defense. Uh, and much like you, I'm looking for the way they win uh, more so than the final score. Um, 2014 is interesting you bring that up as a non-indicator because I thought it was it, they really had two different seasons in 2014. And that, yeah, was that's an indicator, why. that was an indicator of the first half of that season. I mean, yes. when things were clicking, um, they were really damn good and really exciting. I mean, they went blow for blow with the defending national champs on the road. And, I mean, I came out of that loss – at Florida State, thinking Everett Golson might actually have a Heisman chance this year because he played that well uh, to that point of the year, even in defeat. Um, and then it all just kind of fell out. I think that was a team that wasn't really used to their new defense coordinator yet, and um, they had a lot of preseason suspensions when they really couldn't afford yeah. to. They weren't deep enough on defense, and as the season wore on, that one uh, showed up. But uh, for the most part, as you said, these openers have been very indicative of the kind of season we're going to see from Notre Dame. So I expect a, a big, comfortable win this Saturday. Um, what's that mean for them in the race for the ACC title, Pete? Uh, I, I think they will be playing in Charlotte, and they will be 10-1 and one when they get there, assuming you know they, they play all 11 games. Um, I, I, I'm going to predict them to beat Clemson at home and then lose <sighs> another game. Wow, wow. But – that will be enough to get to Charlotte, and then you have a rematch against Clemson there, which I will not predict. It's just far too hypothetical for me at this juncture. So you're predicting Notre Dame will be Clemsoning. They'll win a big game and then lose again. <laughs> they shut it. I don't know. The way I look at the schedule, though, is like, you remember how we felt about Virginia last year, where that was like, it wasn't a great team in the ACC, but it was an above average team. Mm-hmm. I feel like they played Virginia four times this year, uh, you know, whether Florida State. North Carolina, Louisville, Pittsburgh. I think those teams are all like one of them is going to be good enough to get Notre Dame. Um, and I think, you know, Notre Dame, I believe it's 24 straight wins over uh, unranked opponents. Um, they're a, you know, they won 18 straight at home. So, I mean, that's that should be a comfortable place for Florida State, uh, for Louisville. You know, Pittsburgh has been unbelievably tricky over the years. And then, you know, North Carolina. We'll see. I, I could see North Carolina having a, a pretty average season, or I could see them knocking Notre Dame out of the ACC championship race because they're that good. I, I just think that team could be all over the place. I don't. I don't know what that team's going to look like. Well, you heard it here, fo- here, fo- heard it here first, folks. I've been waiting to say that way too Got long. It. Clearly, uh, Pete Sampson, noted Notre Dame hater, who picked <laughs> Notre Dame to lose to Iowa State in the freaking whatever uh, ball. Thanks uh, for bringing that up. <laughs> Now is going out on a limb and saying Notre Dame will be Clemson. Dabo Swinney, this is the Shamrock. You can subscribe, give it five stars, play it for all of your players uh, in your fancy new uh, football You know there's like four center. Clemson GAs who will be transcribing this podcast and then posting it all over well, their, their slide Chase, and miniature golf course. Uh, uh, Chase Bryce this week, Jeff Scott next week. They will get this back to Dabo Sweeney and make Pete look foolish. <laughs> I think Notre Dame ends up in Charlotte. I think me and Pete might end up road tripping there uh i think they do it at eight and two though i think they lose that clemson game and uh like you i i think the virginia analogy is a good one i mean that was a above average uh division title winning acc team last year that they beat pretty handily pretty much because their defensive line yeah, was I mean, so virginia was their offensive line yeah people forget virginia was winning the game at halftime Right, and Notre Dame's offense really didn't do anything that game. And Bryce yeah. Perkins is basically a one-man offense. Uh, if Notre Dame played Vir- that Virginia team when they played Virginia Tech, do they beat them again? I don't know. Didn't look like it based on the way yeah, the teams are playing at that point. But to that point, I think, you know, put that game on the schedule four different times, 
you're going to fall into a trap at one point or another. Pittsburgh's a great example. Don't think they'll beat Notre Dame, but I think they'll take them to the last play of the last quarter because that's what Pittsburgh does, and then they'll go out and lose to like Syracuse the next week. Uh, that's just the way they operate. But I do think uh, the ACC is better this year, um, and Notre Dame is as much of a known commodity as they've been. Uh, the combination of there is no such thing as a known commodity in a season where you don't know who's going to be playing every week uh, versus I think they're just due for a loss to a team they should beat. I'm just not comfortable going all the way and saying they'll go 9-1 and one and, and win the nine games they should just yet. So I'll go 8-2. and two. I think that's good enough to get you a rematch with Clemson. Uh, that would be something, huh? A 9-2 and yeah. two ACC champion Notre Dame. You'd think that would get in in a, te- in a year where there are only three power fives, but I don't know. You would assume, right? I mean, that's... First, that'd be the first two-loss playoff team, and it would be Notre Dame. Can you imagine? <laughs> no no one would have opinions on that at all. No, not at all. I'm sure Ohio State at home will really, really, really like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... I, mostly, I just can't wait to actually be at a college football game and watch it happen. Um, you know, I watched some of Navy and BYU briefly on uh, on Monday night. I'm trying to watch Miami tonight. Um you know, and then then it all just gets ramped up. So it's it's exci- I, It's still hard for me to get my head around that there's actually going to be a college football season based on how weird this off season was. But here we are. I am I am thrilled that I get to cover it. Most of it in person. Um, it's going to be a weird year, but I I can't wait to watch it. I'm, hopefully, our our listeners and, and readers feel the same way. I agree. Uh, before we go, quick shout out to the Notre Dame captains. Probably not too many surprises yes. there. Shout out to our guy Matthias Farley, just like the best guy ever to cover, who signed with the Jets and became a captain immediately, which obviously says a little bit about the Jets. And again, I'm a Giants fan, but says a lot about Matthias Farley and yeah. uh, the impact he has everywhere he goes. Uh, and shout out to us, one million subscribers. I don't know if you have a Twitter account, but if you do, <laughs> not the Shamrock, the Athletic in general. <laughs> no, the Shamrock, the Shamrock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well. On that note, we're going to get out of here. We will be back. Our regular in-season schedule is, you know, it's going to be the same as last year. We will have a podcast recorded basically immediately after the game um, that will go up the next morning. So you'll be able to get the Shamrock Sunday morning with your coffee and or walking your dog or however you like to listen to your audio on Sundays. And then uh, we'll be back with our regular Thursday preview podcast. Hopefully we'll have guests most weeks. Um but it should be another fun season of the Shamrock, and um, I, I can't wait to keep going with it. Likewise. Enjoy Saturday. All right. Thanks again for listening. I'm Pete Sampson. He's Matt Fortuna. You've been listening to another episode of the Shamrock.